I'm glad that you're here, but I'm glad that Jesus, by his power and by his spirit, is here. He wants to do something in all our hearts and all our lives today. How many have ever had an experience in your life where you've lost something and you it really hurt to lose it? Anyone here? Yeah. I had all of my boxes of books from my years of ministry that when I retired in 2007, um, I heard that there was a ministry here in the city that uh, wanted to make books available to pastors and people in the congregations at a very, very low price. And so I thought, well, all my books can go except one box, and that has all my Bibles in it. And I want to hold on to that because I've marked them up and I've done all kinds of things in them. And lo and behold, before I got here, the truck arrived and took all the boxes. And I had no idea which box had my Bibles in. So the Bibles went. And my little heart was sad. In the front of every one of my Bibles, I have a picture of my family. And I do that because I want to make sure that things are right with my family before I read any further. I want to put into practice what God's Word teaches me as a husband, as a father, and now as a grandfather, and hopefully someday being a great-grandfather. Yes. Amen. So I'm at a pastor's gathering a few weeks ago, and this pastor comes up to me and he says, Pastor Barry, I have your Bible. I said, what do you mean you have my Bible? I've got my Bible. He said, no, no. And he opened it up, and there's the picture of our family at the inside of the, of the Bible. And he said, I went to a book sale, and I saw this Bible, and I thought that would be really good. And I opened it up, and I saw your family. And I went to the Life Center when I first came to Canada, and I just wanted you to know, I've been praying for you for the last four years and your family every single day. And I thought to myself, wow, Lord, you take those things in our lives that we think are lost, and you work them together for our good. And you're behind the scenes of so many things that are going on in our lives. And we don't even see your hand working, but it's working all the time. And today we're going to look a little bit at this whole issue of how God works. And before we do that, I want you to know that, uh, whoops, my phone is talking to me here. It told me it was too loud here a few minutes ago. <laughs> And I thought, you know, Apple needs to put something on there and say, boy, the worship is good this morning. Yeah. Hey, come on. <laughs> but I took time this weekend. I was looking at Charles Spurgeon's life, and he was a young man of about 17 years of age, and he was walking to a destination, and it was really cold, and he heard singing in a small chapel, and he thought he'd go in and just get warm. But God had other plans for Charles. And you may be here today for all kinds of reasons, but God has a reason for you being here today. And as Charles goes into this little church and he's starting to warm up, he listens to the preacher and the preacher 
uses a quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 22. I'm going to read it, but I want you to write it on your heart. It's one of those very important scriptures where this preacher sees this young man come through the door and the scripture says, look to me or turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. God is very definitive in his word about who he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he's calling us all the time into his plans and into his purpose. <clears throat> I want you to know when you say yes to Jesus and you say, I want your plan for my life, I can guarantee you it will always be better than your plan for your life. And when you get to that point where you're old like me and you look back over your life and you go, wow, Lord, look what you have done. And you begin to praise him and thank him. Because so many people, as they get towards the end of their life, have great regrets about how they live their life. You don't want to have regret. You want to be able to say, I put my trust in Jesus, and he directed my steps every single day, and all I have is praise and glory and honor to him. And that will help you as you go along. So if you have your Bible, put it in your hand. If you have your Bible inside your phone, put it in your hand. I've done this for years. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. And I'm ready this morning to receive into my heart the ever-living, everlasting, the incorruptible seed called the Word of God. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about how to live in harmony with one another. And Lord, change my life today. If you mean that in your heart, God will be at work inside of you. Romans chapter 12 and verses 16 to 18, we are admonished in God's word to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, everybody say if possible. If possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. God brings it right down to your doorstep and to mine. And he says, I don't care about all the other things that go on in your life. I want to direct your steps. I want to be your peace. I want to be the one inside of you that is giving you everything you need. You know, there's an illustration that when a diver gets in a suit and starts to go down deep, deep, deep for fixing pipelines and doing all of that, the pressure in his suit helps him to be able to stay down as long as he needs to because it's stronger than the pressure around him. Once the pressure around you is stronger than the pressure in you, you collapse. We saw that with the submersible that went down. And so in your life and in my life, Jesus Christ is sufficient to give us everything we need to face everything we go through every single day. 
When he says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I made a decision years ago when I first became a pastor. And I said, Lord, I know that there are going to be all kinds of things that are going to go on in my day-to-day life as a pastor. And not everybody's going to like me and not everybody's going to be supportive. But I want to know that in my heart of hearts, I can keep the door open to everybody all the time. And I've had people do things that were very terrible, and I've said in my heart of hearts, Father, I will never shut the door to that person. As far as it's possible with me, and you at work inside of me, I will keep the door open because someday in the future, they may want to cross my path. And I had it done even this week. Someone from way back in the 80s sent me an email and said, could I meet with you? My perceptions of you were wrong, and I need to apologize to you face to face. And I thought, Lord, you're honoring my decision to keep the door open to everyone's life, no matter what I've gone through. No matter how difficult it's been, I want to keep that door open. How many know when you ask God to do something, he works inside of you? And then when you get into the situation, he said, I thought you said you're going to keep the door open. He has a way of putting his finger on things in your life. So when we talk about living in harmony with one another, it starts with each and every one of us. Our One Another series has been building us towards a more authentic version of the local church that can make a big difference for Jesus in our community. In week one, we had this attitude of honor, honoring one another. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God and we have dignity in our lives. Week two, we looked at judgment and stop passing judgment on others. Why? Because we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what they're having to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so kindness is important as we offer that to people. Week three, we were committed to instructing one another. And that's how you grow in your discipleship. You start to look at how do I live my life as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. I'm not what I was before. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to live just naturally. I'm going to live spiritually because God is at work in me. His presence is in me. His spirit is in me. Discipleship is what Jesus said. Go and make disciples. Duh. Jesus, what, what is it? What's your, what's your call? Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus. And when someone says yes to God and he begins the process in their lives, they start to say, I want to be everything, Lord, that you're calling me to be. And so I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm not going to ask you if you did your homework. But I gave you homework last week. It's called discipleship. And I said, I want you to read one book of the Bible. The book of Philemon. It's one page. That's all it is. And I said, I want you to have a look at it, and I want you to see how we learn to accept one another and how we extend forgiveness to one another and how we choose to live this kingdom life. 
And we saw that Philemon was a man that owned a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus worked in his household and there came a time where something happened and Onesimus ran away. And just like Charles Spurgeon, who stepped into a sanctuary to get warm and God got a hold of his heart, Onesimus runs away from Philemon and ends up in the presence of the Apostle Paul. Gives his heart to Christ. He's no longer a slave now to Philemon, he's a brother. And Paul appeals to Philemon to treat him now as a brother. In other words, accept him, welcome him, and live in harmony with him. These examples teach us that it's impossible to do these things unless we are being led by the Spirit of God. Even the disciples, after 30,000 hours with Jesus, he said to them, that's not enough. I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons and daughters of God. So what did they do? They went in the upper room and they began to pray. They had no idea what was going to happen other than they were going to get endued with power from on high. And on the day of Pentecost, the heavens opened, the fire of God came, and every single one of them received 120, male and female, in that room, and the world changed that day. Amazing things began to happen as they spilled out of the upper room and started proclaiming who this Jesus was. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches one message and 3,000 people get saved, Jews from all over the world. And God begins to expand his purposes through what? Through obedience and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the word of God. This is what you and I need when it comes to walking in harmony with one another. Here are some of the scriptures that we look at. Romans 15, 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ. I mean, no, in some relationships you need endurance and you need encouragement. Colossians 3 says it, and here's how you realize this, what a new creation in Christ looks like. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, you must forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So when Philemon understands that he has been forgiven by God and he has this new life in Jesus Christ, he knows now that Onesimus has the same life at work inside of him. And he's going to recognize, as I have been forgiven, I will extend forgiveness to others. Above these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit that's at work in our new life in Christ as he begins to build his body, the church, all over the globe. Jesus says in John 15, I appoint
appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last or fruit that will remain. All of us know that relationships are difficult, conflicts arise within all of us in our circumstances, and we need skill to be able to navigate living with harmony and living with one another. When you come into the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, you come out of a hostile culture. Everything about our culture now is hostile. You see it over and over again, and you recognize it desperately needs what we have to offer. It desperately needs God's word. It desperately needs God's spirit. It desperately needs to come to a place of faith in God because our culture in its hostility is coming apart, it's coming unglued. Yes, there's lots of wonderful things that happen, but when you look at the overall picture, nations are at war with one another, people are at war with one another, marriages are now 51% collapsing. Something is going on in the culture and God has an answer for it and wants to bring us together and build us up and cause us to live not in hostility but in harmony with one another. That's what he does. Jesus even had to deal with conflict in his life and in his ministry. But he never controlled, he never manipulated others to agree. Instead, Jesus had a way of always asking questions and inviting people into conversation with him to be able to help them see where they stood in relationship to him. He was and is secure in himself. I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. We're going to look at one of those instances in Scripture where Jesus is facing the questions of a young man and he wants to help him. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. The Bible says, Behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? If your religion is based on good deeds, you're already out of sync with God. Because it's not about the deeds that we do. We've talked about it before. Which deed qualifies you for heaven? No deeds. Only the finished work of the cross of Christ qualifies you for heaven. That when you stand before the Lord, you say, Lord, all I have to offer is I've been forgiven by Jesus. And forgiveness is what gets you and I into the presence of God. And so Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. If you'd enter life, keep the commandments. <laughs> and here's this guy trying to kind of work with Jesus to say, oh yeah, which ones? And Jesus said, don't murder, tick. Don't commit adultery, tick. Don't steal, tick. Don't bear false witness, tick. Honor your father and mother, tick. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, Jesus, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And I'm sure Jesus looked at him and said, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Son, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Do this first, and then come and follow me. Jesus knows what to put his finger on 
in your life and in my life. He knows where to touch us, to change us. Do you know what Jesus did in my life? He changed me at a McDonald's. A hamburger was looking at me and saying to me, I dare you to eat it. And why, why, why would I say that? Well, Joyce and I, our marriage came apart because I became a, almost a fruitarian where I stopped eating cooked foods, I stopped eating vegetables, I was only eating fruit, and I was moving towards becoming an Aryan, which meant I only breathed air. So you, you know I was at stupid stage, and we've all been at stupid stage. And so all of that was out of my life, and I would go and visit Joyce once a week, and I'd take the kids, and I'd go with the kids for the day and bring them home at night. And the kids were like, oh, I don't want to go with Dad. Like, he just, he wants to eat sprouts, and oh, man, no candy, no nothing. And so this one particular day, I said to Kim, what would you like to have for lunch? And she said, can we go to McDonald's? I said, sure. And we get to McDonald's and I ask the kids what they're going to have. And so they put their order and Jason and Kim both ordered what they had. And then Kim looked at me and said, what are you going to have? Right then and there, God put his finger on my heart and said, all the things that you're going through right now are not the things that are going to make for a good life. I want to deal with things in your life and I want to deal with this one because this has become a small G God to you. And so I ordered a Big Mac fries and a milkshake after four years of only fruits and sprouts how many know what happened in my stomach <laughs> when I looked at that hamburger here's what the scripture said Barry it's not what in you puts puts what you put in your mouth that's defiling you. It's what's coming out of your heart. And I thought, thank you, Lord. So I ate it. I ate the fries. I did the milkshake. And my stomach looked like I was pregnant. <laughs> and we get back to the house at the end of the day, and I don't live there anymore. I'm living in Cornwall, and Joyce is here with the kids. And I knock on the door, it opens, and Kim says right away, Mom, you'd never guess where we went. <laughs> we went to McDonald's, and her little head came out from behind the door, and uh, what did you have to eat? <laughs> and I said, I had a hamburger and fries and a milkshake. And you know what that was to her? The beginning of change in her husband's life. That's something that no one could touch and I wasn't willing to change. And Holy Spirit said, like he did to the rich young ruler, your possessions are controlling you. Your food and how you're living is controlling you. Now, I could go on with this, but I'm not going to. Let's just say it's good for you to eat well. All right? I'll just leave it at that. Good for you to eat well. <laughs> That change started the domino effect of us getting back together eventually because Joyce knew that if that could happen in his life, something has happened in his life, and I want to know what it is that's happened in his life. And that was Jesus Christ coming in and changing me from the inside out. And the same with the rich young ruler. 
When Jesus put his finger on his possessions, he put his finger on his God. He put his finger on what this young man was trusting in, but he did it in conversation. I want you to stand. We're going to try something here. The Bible tells us that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All right? Grace and truth. I want you to take your left hand and I want you to close it as tight as you can. And I want you to see in your left hand is your relationship with God, the truth of his word, the convictions that you hold, the promises that you have, all of the things that God has done in your heart and in your life. And you hold on to them and they are near to you and they're dear to you. Now I want you to take your right hand and I want you to shake hands with someone around you. Keep your fists tight. Just shake hands with someone around you. Now, what do you know about Jesus in relationship with people? He never gave up his convictions, the truth that he was living out of, the relationship he had with the Father, what he was doing in his life. He never reneged on his convictions, but he always extended a hand of grace to people. I want you to go from here today with that same reality in your heart. Every time you're in a situation with someone, just close your left fist. And you're not going to hit them. <laughs> just, we don't go there. But when they see you, close your fist. Just in your heart of hearts, say, Lord, I love your word and I love you and I love everything about you and where I'm at in my relationship right now. I'll never relinquish these things, but God, you ask me to reach out to people in grace in the same way that someone reached out to me. And Lord, I'm willing to do that. That's called grace and truth. It's a tension that you and I live in when we want to live in harmony with one another. Please be seated for just a moment. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is a moment in Paul's writings to the church at Ephesus where he is a Jew and God is sending him to Gentiles. It's the same pattern that happened in the life of the Apostle Peter, that he was in Joppa and he was in prayer and he saw a vision of a sheet coming down three different times with animals on it and Peter looked at them and, and they were unclean animals and God was saying to him, Peter, eat. Peter couldn't go there, so God did it again. Peter couldn't go there, so God did it one more time, and Peter went, I better wake up. What God was doing was showing him in the natural that a wall was coming down between Jews and Gentiles, the attitude that Jews had towards Gentiles, and in Christ, everything was going to change. Paul has the same encounter in his life, and he says these words in Ephesians 2. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So walking in harmony with one another is a challenge because we've got to put our trust in Christ that if we're going to enjoy our walk together with others, we're going to have to take responsibility for how we respond to them the situations that we go through. We're gonna recognize that when the wall has come down, whether it's male or female, black or white, doesn't matter what tribe, what tongue, we are one in Christ Jesus. Hostility is gone. What has come now is harmony and how we live together and glorify God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the challenge that we have. And so I wanna leave you with this. Philip was in conversation with Jesus one day, and Jesus was talking about leaving, going to be with the Father. And Philip said, Can you show us the way? And I'm sure Jesus did this. Oy. Have I been this long with you? Don't you know, Philip, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is that entry point into the things of heaven. And then he says this, Philip, if you've seen me, come on, you've seen the Father. Here's my homework this week, that we can say to the culture, if you see us, you see Jesus. How I many know oh, that's, uh, that's a challenge? It's a challenge on how we live. It's a challenge on how we drive our cars. Oh, God's really working on that one in me. That then becomes the kind of church that makes a Jesus-sized difference in the community. And how many want to make a Jesus-sized difference with your life? Amen. Let's all stand together. I'm going to get you to recite with me, the Apostles' Creed, and we'll come to the latter part of it that talks about not the universal Catholic Church, that's a term meaning everyone, we're going to call it the local and eternal church, just so that we're clear. It'll come up on the screen, let's do it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the local and eternal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Put your hand over your heart. Come on. Come on.
Put your hand over your heart. Kofi's coming. I'm always following Kofi. But this time he's following me. <laughs> Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for a church to worship in, to learn and to grow. And that you put these words into the hearts and the mouths of disciples when they cried out to you to say, Lord, teach us to pray. And you said to them corporately, pray this way, our Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We thank you for directing our steps. And even in today, if there's anyone in here that does not know why they have come into the house of the Lord today, I want you to know that God has invited you here today. He wants to meet with you. He loves you. He cares about your life. Whatever you're going through, put it in his hands. He's a good, good father, and he will watch over you and take care of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>